people often say to me that, um, oh, that I could never do the potato, you know, a year of eating only potatoes like you did because I don't have the willpower that you do. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, there's not, there's not willpower. And I, and I often go back to that time in my life and I think, you know, the people that are suffering with depression and anxiety and things like that, they have more willpower than anyone on, on the planet. Because when you, when you wake up in the morning and, you know, you've, you're just feeling just at the bottom of the barrel and, you know, you'd give anything to not move out of your bed and not see anyone and speak to anyone for that day, but you get up and do it anyway. Like, that's, that's what takes willpower, you know. Eating potatoes doesn't take willpower. <laughs> you know, living life when you when you just you can't get any lower and you just keep on going that's that's willpower that's um and people don't realize that they've got it in spades they just they just don't put two and two together i guess yeah hi there veggie mates welcome back to the veg talk podcast i'm your host matthew davey and you just heard from this week's guest andrew taylor if you are not familiar with his story he ate only potatoes for a full year not just for fun but to combat a lifelong battle with food addiction. His story is coming up in just one moment. But first, an update for you all. Anna and I are in Australia, and this past week I decided to take a quick break from the podcast and also social media to spend more time with my family. We went over to Adelaide for a good friend's wedding and then drove back to Melbourne over a three-night period uh, with mum and dad, which was really awesome. We stopped in places called Second Valley, Robe and Port Ferry, all beautiful coastal towns uh, along the south coast of Australia. We had a bunch of amazing plant food and also took some amazing shots. Unfortunately, I do have some uh, bad news on some technical stuff. So I made a big mistake of accidentally dropping my hard drive where most of our recent work was saved. Uh, We have to wait a few days before getting it uh, looked at, but for now we have lost Uh, A lot of our hard work from our trip to Mexico, which sucks. Uh, So completely my fault um, that we hadn't got the files to the cloud. But this is, yeah, a little bit frustrating for us and our new project, VegTalk Espanol. So hopefully uh, the hard drive doctor can recover the files and we can continue what we had prepared for you all. And some more exciting news. I have four very exciting podcasts lined up this week in Melbourne, which I can't wait to share with you all. You can follow our travels on YouTube and also support our work on Patreon by following the links in my bio on Instagram, which you can find by searching VegTalk, that's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K on Instagram. Now let's shift our focus to this week's episode of the podcast. So after going plant-based back in 2016 myself, I heard a story about a man from Australia who had decided to eat potatoes for the year in a bid to battle his food addiction. The term food addiction is not something that we often use, and for many, this term may sound funny. Coupled with a diet of only potatoes, I'm sure there's many people out there who thought this was some kind of joke. However, Andrew was tackling his problem with a solution that he thought would work. And as you heard before, if this wasn't to be the solution for him, the worst thing that could have happened is that he'd be back at square one, forced to be back where he started. So in this episode, Andrew shares his story about his ongoing battle with weight throughout his days as a national long-distance kayaker, and also why he chose the potato as the only food he would consume for the year of 2016. I really enjoyed chatting with Andrew, and also learned a lot from the conversation. 
He was able to give me a new perspective on this topic and provided an amazing recount of his own personal journey. You can find Andrew on Instagram at spudfit and also online at spudfit.com where you can see his new book. It's a cookbook with over 100 whole food potato-based recipes. I hope you enjoy the show. Look forward to chatting with you all on the other side. All right, ladies and gentlemen, veggie mates, we are rolling here in Brighton, Victoria. It's uh, very close to where I grew up. First podcast on Australian shores. Really psyched to have Andrew Spudfit Taylor in the house with us today. So welcome, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Good to be on uh, uh, with you when you're on your home ground advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's cool to bring it home. So yeah. looking forward to getting some guests um, from from Australia on the podcast. Um, but we've been following you, Anna and myself have been following you for quite a while. So uh, you. you were definitely the first person I thought of to to have on the pod. Oh, nice. That's kind. <laughs> and uh, yeah, really, really happy to have you on. So I suppose let's get straight into it. Um, would love to know a little bit about where you grew up and what you know what life was like for you growing up uh, in Australia. Yeah, well, I grew up not that far from you, actually. <laughs> I grew up in Langwarren, which is probably, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes drive away from where you grew up. And uh, yeah, it was, when, I, when we moved there, it was more of a country town. Now it's just a suburb, like any other suburb. But it was, uh, you know, when we moved there, it was there was dirt roads everywhere and uh yeah it was a sort of it was almost a country town uh and yeah just pretty normal childhood i grew up playing footy there and uh yeah and later on i got into some kayaking and things like that but yeah it was it was a pretty average suburban slash uh you know hybrid country town life <laughs> yeah that's cool yeah i i have very like not vivid memories of the area i've definitely played soccer in in lang warren i don't yeah. know if it was as as country or um you know not suburban as, as yeah. you were kind of I, mentioning I guess there. We, we probably moved there when it was like in the middle of you know they just started the the dirt roads were every year they were getting less and less it wasn't like yeah it was uh a growing town yeah it was a growing town yeah i guess you could have called it a town but it was was fast becoming a suburb when we moved there yeah very cool very yeah. cool and i suppose growing up you said footy you're an active kid yeah pretty typical i reckon yeah i played footy and you know backyard cricket with my mates and you know my neighbors had a swimming pool so we spent a lot of time in that during the during the summer and yeah i did a little bit of surf life-saving and things just to make it more typically australian and <laughs> yeah that was yeah that was yeah it. for those of you at home that haven't actually looked at australian football a lot of the listeners are from america so aussie football completely different to yeah. what you might be used to in terms of american football rugby soccer it's I get I get asked a lot. It's a different. Oh, is it is it like rugby? Is it like American football? It's like yeah. well, it's uh, <laughs> it's hard to explain. It's uh, it's sort of you know to the untrained eye, it's organised chaos. Really, <laughs> it's um, when you know what you're watching, it's um, it's a very entertaining, high speed, hard hitting, um, skillful. Yeah, it's it's everything that's good about sport, in my opinion. When you know what's going on, but yeah, if you've never seen a game, it's just organised chaos, and you don't really know what to look at and where the ball's going to go and where everyone's going and why they're going there. And yeah, you, you know, there's no offside. People can come at you from any direction. You can pass the ball in any direction. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. But uh, 
Yeah, it's, it is an it's interesting cool. sport. It's, <laughs> it's funny taking people to a live game and then you find yourself talking throughout the whole game because they're like, what happened there? What what happened there? Like, what's what's that about? Why did he punch the ball with his hands? Yeah, and all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, it's, it's a funny sport to try and explain. Do you support a team? Yeah, I go for the Demons. The yeah. Demons, okay. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. The last couple of years, my little boy, my, my big boy, I've got two boys. My yep. big boy is five years old and he's just started to get into the footy the last couple of years. So uh, I've started taking him to games and getting more into it than I have been for a while. You know, I've sort of... I've always enjoyed footy, but I've gone to maybe one or two games a year. And and then last year, I went to a lot of games with my boy. And this year, we've got memberships and we're going to go a bit more. He's into it. Good time to yeah, be a yeah. demon supporter too. There. Yeah, well, the timing's right for that point of view. Yeah, they're definitely they're definitely <laughs> looking a little better. I'm a Crows supporter myself. So uh, yeah. you guys snag Jake Lever from us. Yeah, and um, yeah. He's a handy pickup if he can get off the, the injury list. Yeah, yeah, well, he was pretty good for the first half of last year. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, who knows what would have happened if he stayed healthy. But we'll see, maybe this year. Right, yeah. right. No, you guys are looking very good. Very exciting yeah. time for, for Demon supporters. Yeah. So as you're growing up and you're, you know, typical childhood, pretty active Aussie kid, uh, were there any things that piqued your interest in terms of sports? Was it footy or did you go a different direction? Yeah, footy was my main thing until, I don't know, I was probably... 12 13 maybe 14 years old i was pretty into footy um but i never really had a summer sport and uh and you know my parents just were pushing me for a few years really just to, they wanted me to play a sport during summer as well and there wasn't really any other like i liked lots of sports but there was none that i wanted to you know take up all that time on the weekend and during the week i, I would I enjoyed basketball and I enjoyed playing backyard cricket, but I didn't want to stand in the field all day playing proper cricket, <laughs> you know? So there was all these sorts of things. And um, one holiday I went, uh, I, I went to visit my uncle and he had kayaks and we just had a nice day kayaking and stuff. And then, uh, then of course the summer came up and my parents were back on me. You got to get a summer sport. What are you going to do? And I thought about that, that um, little day kayaking I did with my uncle. And I said, oh, I wonder, is kayaking a sport? I wonder if you can, can you race kayaks? Maybe we'll, is that available? And, um, and it was sort of a throwaway line just to, you know, get them off my back. <laughs> <laughs> and then they went and found a kayak club. So I went and, yeah, joined the kayak club at Patterson Lakes. And, uh, yeah, it, it, pretty soon it took over and um, it became my number one thing and I ended up quitting footy so I could concentrate on kayaking and, yeah, it was... Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a... I suppose it's a... Not a typical sport that you hear about growing up. You'd, you're footy, cricket, soccer, you know, basketball. Those yeah. types you hear about a lot. Um, kayaking, not so much. Can you tell us a little bit about kayaking as a sport, as a competitive sport? What it... Um, you know, what you guys do, the training, the um, the dedication that you... Uh, gave to kayaking and for how long yeah well uh i was in long distance kayaking that was my main thing there's there's sprint kayaking which is uh up to a thousand meters in distance and but my main thing was long distance marathon kayaking and as a sport i think the best thing to compare it to is uh cycling <coughs> because you know you watch if you ever watch cycling you know that they they work together in packs and if you sit in behind someone else, you can draft off them and, um, and yeah, they, they develop packs because of that. And kayaking is a little bit similar, except that they, you know, when you, if you've ever seen a boat going through the water, they make a little wave. 
and um, kayaks do the same thing. They make a little wave, and if you're good, if your skills are good and you know what you're doing, then you can ride that wave, and um, and it gives you a similar amount of help as it does on a, on a bike when you're tucking behind someone else. You you probably have only have to put in 80% of the effort or something, and it's the same with kayaking. So because of that, packs form, and then it becomes a real, you know. It's not always the fittest, fastest person that wins. It's the person that can use the the wash riding, we call it, the way you ride the wake, um, and and you know the the tactical, um, yeah, the people that are good tactically uh, often can beat the people that are fitter. So hmm. um, yeah, it's really it's a cool sport like that, and um, yeah, it was it. I, I got into it really quickly. Uh, you know, I started off training couple of times a week and then you know it was probably within a year uh i was i got to the point where i was training between four and six hours every day and uh and going to elite squads and yeah winning races and yeah it sort of wow became my life for a few years there yeah wow so are we talking marathon distance or what what is the distance of um the you know the the kayak rides yeah, well, when I first started, it was, yeah, like the novice, you know, when you're a little kid and just starting off, it was like 5Ks was probably my first mm-hmm. race. But by the time I was racing internationally, it was like 25, 30Ks, that sort of distance, yeah. Well, and yeah. Is, is this on like a flat river? Or? Yeah, yep. yeah, flat rivers. And there's they have what's called portages as well. And that's because kayak racing originated in, in Europe. And, um, and if you're racing around Europe, uh, there are there are like locks and weirs and stuff, so you've got to get out, run around the a lock, and get back in. And um, because that's where the tradition came from, if they don't have anything to run around, they just do it anyway. So most okay. races have a couple of portages where you just got to get out and carry your kayak for a, a couple of hundred meters, and then you get back in and go again. Got it. So yeah, that's a, a tactically um, exciting part of the race as well, where you know the the uh the positioning in your in the pack where you come in to the portage and where you leave and those sorts of things are um yeah people fight pretty hard to get the the right spot on the pack to you know to make make the portage the uh you know you might want to make a move through a portage and uh it's harder to do if you're not in the right position so yeah it's a very tactical thing that's cool i think i'm gonna have to youtube some of this it it sounds really really cool really interesting sport uh, yeah, it's probably boring if you don't really know what you're looking at <laughs> or I imagine a bit like australian footy but you know, i guess a bit like if you like cycling if you like watching cycling racing then you might like watching kayaking racing because yeah the, like i said the tactics are a little bit you know along those lines so yeah, maybe yeah. don't mind a late night uh tour de france um you know session they're they're always pretty interesting i like watching the cycling too but i also like to be doing something else at the same time it's sort of something to have on in the background and i reckon kayaking would be a similar thing you know have it on in the background and just every now and then someone makes a move and something interesting happens and then you just check it out and then you go back to doing something else (laughs) got it good tips good tips so if you're doing five or six hours a day how does that tie in with school um and how important is nutrition at that you know at that level yeah well i was yeah i was getting up in the mornings uh three mornings a week i would hit the gym and be lifting weights and yeah i I was a big strong boy um for you know there was yeah i was i was uh i was already big and strong i'm a big guy anyway but then you know lifting weights three times a week as a 15 year old is uh 
made me the only guy around doing that. So yeah, I was a big guy and, um, and yeah, so weight training three times a week and, uh, probably two or three runs a week and then six or seven times a week in the, in the kayak as well. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was full on, but I loved it. So it was not like, oh no, I've got to go to training today. I was always looking forward to my training, even when it was at the end of a long, hard week. I was, yeah, it was just, I, I enjoyed it. So it wasn't like it was a chore or anything like that. It was just, just what I wanted to do with my time. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, the nutrition side of things. Oh, yeah, no, nah, it's all yeah. with the, were there guidelines by coaches on like uh, meal plans or, you know, how many calories you should be eating a day or was it that dialed in? No, nah, not really. We didn't didn't really. Um, there wasn't really any uh, thought about nutrition. I remember one time with the national team, we uh, we had like a seminar one night where a nutritionist came along and just talked about nutrition. But we, you know, maybe it was a two hour lecture, and that was it for my whole time in kayaking. That was the only instruction we got on diet. Um, I did have personally a little bit more because through throughout my whole time uh, as an elite kayaker, I was always yeah probably five to 10 kilos overweight. So for, you know, for average person, that's like not much. No, most people don't really care that much about being five to 10 kilos overweight. But for me, for an elite athlete, that's far too much. So um, yeah, I, I was, it was always something I was working on and I did see a dietitian for a while about that. And uh, yeah, had meal plans and whatever from, from the uh, Institute of Sport Dietitian. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, <coughs> it wasn't a huge focus of the program, but it was something that I tried pretty hard to, to deal with and I never really had any great success with it. Yeah. Got it. So you never really got on top of it. You yeah. knew it was a factor in maybe taking you to the next level, like five, 10 kilos. I mean, dragging that through yeah, the yeah. water is. Yeah. Well, I knew at the time that it was holding me back and in hindsight, uh, well, even at the time, but it was, it was probably. I'm not going to say I would have been a world champion or an Olympian or anything like that because you never know. But I, you know, I was one of the best in Australia, and it was. I think it was the difference between at least being competitive on an international level. You know, I raced internationally, but I was never, I was never, um, you know, going to be on the podium. I was just making up the numbers at international level. But yeah, take that five ten kilos off, and I'm pushing for spots on the podium. I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. Did it. Did it affect your mindset once you got to that level? Did it affect, um, you know, you continuing uh, with the sport? How did how did life go after you got to the to the international level? Uh, yeah, well, it was, it was a, I guess it was a bit disheartening to go to international level. And the thing about it was that, um, you know, I'd I had I worked as hard or harder than anyone in the sport in the world. I think like I, I worked, I put in the effort, and. Um, yeah, I guess I just wasn't getting the the rewards that my effort deserved. Um, so yeah, it was hard in that way, um, and it was hard to, you know, from a pure fitness and strength point of view, I was getting beaten by people that were not as fit or as strong or as tactically um, knowledgeable or, you know, as determined as me. But you know, they just were a bit lighter, and so right. they were beating me. And uh, yeah, so that was yeah disheartening i guess but it didn't make me love the sport less or anything it just uh yeah it was just a, a puzzle that i couldn't solve you know <laughs> i suppose when when you connect the dots there on in terms of like only having one nutrition seminar throughout your career 
you're kind of left to fend for yourself. Your coaches, I don't know, did they help at all or were they not as knowledgeable in that space either? Our coaches, um, yeah, they tried to help, but they didn't actually help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I had... um, I guess it was sort of, you know, I was a young guy and it was, it was, uh, I guess a delicate topic and, um, you know, some people tried to tell me that I needed to lose weight or whatever, but you know, people were not very sensitive and, um, yeah, the way people said things were, would, was probably not the best way to say things to me. And, you know, I'm not, I don't blame anyone. People meant well. And, um, if it happened, you know, if I was, if there's a 15 year old kayaker 16 year old kayaker in the in the same boat as me pardon the pun (laughs) uh, these days i'm sure people would approach things differently but you know people were trying to help and um and people meant no harm but but yeah harm was done wasn't a motivating way to get a 15 year old guy to yeah yeah like i don't know that you know little jokes here and there and people laughing at, at various things or whatever it was no one was trying to actively trying to hurt my feelings but my feelings were hurt and i was a young boy and i didn't really know you know it was yeah like i was trying as hard as i could to get this thing under control and uh and it just wasn't working and uh and it was yeah it just was it felt um yeah i don't know just it was just an out of control situation and i didn't really know what to do about it and people saying um things to me about you know controlling my weight and things like that were were just not helpful in the end because you know telling someone to lose weight is like what's that who cares to tell someone to lose weight it doesn't do anything you know especially when someone already knows they've got to lose weight and is trying and then you just try to put more pressure on them and you know, pressure doesn't doesn't do anything for that situation and right yeah that's just didn't help there you go <laughs> no no i yeah. um i mean it's not something growing up for myself you know that i went through but it's i think you can you can kind of use that same mindset for anything you know you tell someone that they should be putting on muscle or you should tell someone that they're you know they're not eating the right thing i remember when i tried to tell my parents about plant-based eating if you tell them it's the way or you need to do this it's going to push them um, further away and i think by telling a young guy that you know oh you got to lose you know five to ten kilos it's um it can be a harsh um a harsh reminder um about why maybe you're not at the level that you really wanted to be at it's not matching the work ethic that you put that you're putting in as a as a kayaker so i can understand that must have been a difficult time did it did it spiral um, you know, into into later life or into. Oh, I don't know. I think I always like from from when I was a young kid. I was always overweight, and um, and I you know got teased at school and all the way through school. Actually, I was bullied, and um, mm-hmm. and you know, not that anyone in kayaking was trying to bully. No, no one was trying to do that. But um, just people were sort of insensitive in the way they approached it, and that didn't help. And but I don't think you know that experience with kayaking made anything worse for me. It was just an issue that I already had, and I. It, probably if I wasn't kayaking, it would have been worse because I wouldn't have been putting in those elite athlete efforts and I would have been far more overweight. So, um, yeah, I think I don't don't blame anyone in or the experience itself for anything. It was only a positive experience. and um, Well, not only positive, there were negatives to it. But, uh, 
but yeah, overall, I'm glad it all happened, and it was a. I like kayaking, and I still like the sport, and I like everyone in it. So, very yeah, cool. But um, yeah, I guess I guess I don't know. It was just it was just a problem that I I had for as long as I can remember, and uh, yeah, there was no one no one uh, gave me any solutions. I guess even working with a dietitian was, you know, they just told me more of the same of stuff that you know, typical mainstream stuff that everyone knows anyway, like, you know, stop eating donuts and start eating apples, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the the thing is, yeah, trying to trying to make that happen and put it into action is is uh, the problem people have and that's the problem I had and no one had any solutions for how to, you know, to to make these things happen. That's the that's the hard bit, you know. When there's a plate of donuts in front of you, it's pretty hard to leave it there and go and get an apple for someone like me, anyway. And uh, and yeah, that was not that sort of. No one even tried to even contemplate. Or how do we? You know, okay, you've got the. It was more like, here's the information, go and do it. And it's like, you know, a cigarette smoker knows they should stop smoking, but trying to do it is a different issue, you know. That um, I've yeah. that I that I can resonate with a hundred percent. When when I met Anna. I was smoking cigarettes yeah, and I was that guy. I was exactly what yeah, yeah. you just said. So I would um, basically light up a cigarette, mm. finish it, and then come back and complain about wanting yeah. to finish, yeah, wanting yeah. to stop. And one day after you know a few years of being together, I think Anna just had enough of hearing that and said, look, either keep doing it and stop complaining about it or stop you know i i'm sick of hearing you whinging about you know stopping uh, you wanting to stop but you just go outside and light up another one mm. so i don't know for me that clicked it clicked in my head and i was able to to stop smoking cigarettes but something something that's interesting that i heard in a recent interview that you did with with osha was food is everywhere it's not one thing it's not just one part of your life or one thing to fixate on food is three meals a day potentially five if we're including snacks it could be more if we're you know if if we snack throughout the day and it it surrounds us do you want to talk a little bit about the food addiction aspect maybe um how you know how you came to to that realization um yeah yeah, a bit later in life and maybe how you how you got there as well because it is very very interesting well yeah well basically i i had a um this is not something i was aware of through my kayaking times or through any of the rest of my life it was just yeah it wasn't really uh an issue well it was an issue but it wasn't something that i was uh actively understanding until uh um, the long, the long story short is I, I had a month where I did really well. Uh, you know, I was green smoothies every day for breakfast and salads for lunch and just healthy meals and all that. And I was exercising and I had a really good month. And then at the end of the month, I, I thought, well, you know, I've done really well. I need to reward myself and I'm going to reward myself with a slice of pizza. Um, yeah. And of course, one slice of pizza ended up being a whole pizza followed by ice cream and coca-cola and all that sort of stuff and it just became an epic binge and uh and the next day i was feeling really sorry for myself and feeling really disappointed in myself and really beating myself up about 
Um, you know, why can't I do this moderation thing that everyone talks about all the time? Um, you know, why couldn't I just have one or two slices of pizza once in a while and just leave it at that? And, um, you know, really angry with myself for letting, you know, I had a good month. I've done well and I've just blown it up. What am I doing? And, uh, yeah, I was just, I was feeling really, you know, I was, I was clinically depressed and anxious at the time and I was just spiraling out of control. And, uh, and this particular afternoon I went and grabbed a beer from the fridge because that's what you do when you're feeling you know, like shit. So, oh, sorry, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I did that. And as I cracked the beer and sat down on the couch, it just it just hit me all of a sudden that uh, the way I've been treating food is the way an alcoholic would treat alcohol. You know, we've we've all, at least if we haven't known someone, probably have, most of us have known someone that has uh, decided to quit alcohol for a while and done, you know, maybe a month or a couple of years or whatever. Uh, of being sober and then one day he says oh you know it's my it's my mate's uh bucks night or or um you know someone's wedding or whatever it's a special occasion i'll just have a few beers tonight and then i'll go back to being sober tomorrow and it never works out like that so uh and my behavior with food i figured in that moment that i cracked that beer and sat on the couch i just realized that my behavior with food was the same as that alcoholic experience so uh yeah that was a lot of self-reflection uh ensued from that moment and uh and yeah i figured that if an alcoholic should quit alcohol then maybe a maybe a food addict should quit food uh but of course that's not some you can't quit food so uh yeah initially that made things worse for me because i I started thinking oh geez i wish i was an alcoholic or a drug addict or something because then at least you can quit i don't know what the hell i'm supposed to do with this food addiction though and uh and yeah, then I started thinking about, well, I wonder, you know, maybe I could quit some foods, but not others, or maybe I could quit, you know, I wonder how it'd work if I could quit this and that. And I was just, I just kept on thinking, no, it's, it's, that's not how it's supposed to be because an alcoholic just has one decision to make. Am I going to drink alcohol or am I not? It's that it. It's that simple. It's a black and white thing. And I just thought, I wonder how close I could get to that. I wonder like if there's one food that I could eat that, that would keep me healthy and give me everything I need while I quit everything else and there and then get as close to that you know binary choice as I could and uh and yeah that's uh, that's where the idea came from yeah no it's (laughs) it's so so interesting I'm I'm super glad that you kind of went through this thought process and you know you've gone you've gone you've gone through it publicly because well firstly it makes a ton of sense and I, I you know, I'm surprised that we're not really talking about it as much as we should be. Because I, th- I don't know. I think, um, you know, we can help a whole lot more people that might be going through the same thing if there's you know, a little bit more of a clearer path on on how to overcome something like you know a food addiction, which I don't know. I I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong a lot of us would have some form of, you know, high fat, sugary foods. I think I can relate. You know, if if we go to a a bit of a junk food restaurant, at those places, we typically order more than we would Mm. if we were going to a healthful restaurant. Yeah. So I think on some level, you know, we're still experiencing that. Um, So it's 
pretty it's prolific i suppose in our society yeah, yeah. I, I think for sure it's um i think it's something that we don't talk about that much and you know i spend m- m- as much time as possible talking about it myself and i think more people should talk about it there are a lot of people that think just food addiction is not even a thing it doesn't exist and um and whether or not like data shows that the same mechanisms are triggered in the brain or not um that's this is what a lot of studies seem to focus on they say food the addiction doesn't exist because you know when you're addicted to smoking different things happen in your brain and there's this is not you know a settled thing some people say it does some people say it doesn't but to me it's um it doesn't matter what what the uh whether it's a physiological addiction as in you know certain things are triggered in your brain that make you want that thing more and more again or that that's just irrelevant if you if you like back to the cigarette smoking thing every cigarette smoker knows that they shouldn't be smoking cigarettes they know it's bad for their health probably not everyone but nearly everyone who smokes cigarettes i think probably wants to quit and and they can't they keep on going back to it and uh, you know they know it's bad but they can't stop themselves they keep on going back to it and then you know just go and walk down any cafe strip in melbourne and you will find an overweight person and there's nothing wrong with being overweight if you're happy being overweight i'm happy for you that's fine but you will find over an overweight person who doesn't want to be overweight and they'll be eating a cake or a slice or a donut or something and they will know that that's not good for them and it's going to only make them heavier and they would be wishing that they could stop eating all that crap but they keep doing it just like a cigarette smoker keeps doing it and if the behaviors are the same then you know if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's a duck you know <laughs> what's just, the difference yeah what's yep. the difference who cares if there's a physiological response or not it, it's the behavior is the same and the behavior is what we need to treat and yeah, totally that's, that's the thing 100 yeah. percent. so i suppose at the peak of all of this how was it affecting your relationship with your wife and was your was your first boy was he born as well at, at this time yeah yeah well i was yeah he was two years old mm-hmm. yeah a little bit more than two years old when uh when i had this realization about the addiction side of things and um and yeah he was a big uh part of my inspiration i guess for for continuing to work on improving myself because yeah i was clinically depressed and anxious and and my headspace was you know in a very bad way and i think without without him there and probably without my wife i would have just stayed in bed and never gone out like i i got out of bed and went to work because i needed to provide for them and uh and yeah if i didn't have them then there would have been no reason for me to get out of bed ever so uh yeah that was yeah they they helped me in that way for sure without actually trying to it was just you know i wasn't going to let them down um but yeah i did i was doing everything i could to be the best father and husband that i could be and my wife would i'm sure she would agree that i was i was doing the best i could and she wouldn't have complained about the way that i was but um but yeah just when you're in that mindset there or that mind space sorry uh yeah 100 percent effort as a clinically depressed and anxious man is not the same as 100 percent effort you know these days so uh yeah that's yeah uh, she she didn't i wasn't the same person so my my wife and my son didn't have access to the same person that they do now so yeah that's that's 
that's it really i wasn't there's not anything that i can say that i did i was doing wrong or that i was um you know letting them down in some way i was really doing my best but just my best then is not the same as my best now <laughs> grinding grinding through yeah. you know those you know well that mental space grinding through that mental space day after day yeah it's good it's got to yeah. be it's got to be draining and then you're polar opposite now yeah yeah yeah. well i I say like people often say to me that um i could never do the potato you know a year of eating only potatoes like you did because i don't have the willpower that you do and i'm I'm like yeah that's not that's not willpower and i I often go back to that time in my life and i think you know the people that are suffering with depression and anxiety and things like that they have more willpower than anyone on on the planet because when you when you wake up in the morning and you know you've you're just feeling just at the bottom of the barrel and you know you'd give anything to not move out of your bed and not see anyone and speak to anyone for that day but you get up and do it anyway like that's that's what takes willpower you know eating potatoes doesn't take willpower (laughs) you know living life when you when you just you can't get any lower and you just keep on going that's that's willpower that's um and people don't realize that they've got it in spades they just they just don't put two and two together i guess yeah that is so so true i think yeah i think in general we have a lot more within us than we than we give ourselves credit for absolutely um but yeah i've I've never heard it put that way and i couldn't agree with you more uh so thank you for that so yeah at that time when you know okay you've had the beer in the fridge and food addiction is now something that is at the forefront of your mind and you're thinking about making this thing as binary as possible, you know, as black and white as possible. How did you come to the decision that potatoes was going to be the food that you were going to consume? Uh, And how did you come to the decision that you would consume it for a year? Yeah, okay. So when in that moment, you know, was I, as I was spiraling down further down the black hole and thinking, geez, I wish I was a drug addict instead of a food addict or whatever. And I, you know, the that logical process of arriving at the idea of quitting food. Uh, and I had my laptop right there in front of me. It was on the coffee table. I picked it up and I just Googled like something along the lines of what is the perfect food for humans. And a video came up by Dr. John McDougall. Uh, it was actually it was by it was on the Veg Source channel on YouTube, but the title of the video was "Potatoes: The Perfect Food," and um, and that was the first thing that came up as a result of my search. So I watched that, and um, it's like a four-minute video, and it's just so much information packed into it, and um, yeah, it was really an interesting video, and and that yeah really just sent me down the rabbit hole of researching. I did a lot of research, like hours every day for probably six weeks. Um, and I didn't just look at potatoes, but that that sent me down the the potato rabbit hole. And uh, and every time I found evidence for potatoes, I was always going looking for evidence for other foods that I could use as well. And uh, everything just kept on coming back to potatoes. That that was yeah. The, there's historical evidence. There's data. There's uh, you know there are there are entire nations like the Irish nation is has done it before and uh well close enough to it anyway so yeah it's just if if there was there was no i guess there was no like definitive answer that you're gonna if you want to eat only one food then this is the one but uh but it was as close as you could get to it that potatoes was going to be the one 
And um, yeah, why I decided to do a year, well, that was my initial, like throughout this time of research, I was thinking, I was trying to decide between two months or a hundred days. I wasn't sure. I was just thinking, oh, I don't know, two months, hundred days, one of them, I'm not sure, which is the right amount of time. And um, this six weeks of research that I was talking about, that just by coincidence, it finished, uh, yeah, there was about three or four days until New Year's Day. And, uh, and I, I finished that research and I was like, okay, I'm, I, I'm, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be potatoes and, uh, and I've just got to decide how long I'm going to do it for. And then I, I just thought, you know, anyone who's been a, a dieter before or tried to quit smoking or whatever, everybody in those situations knows that it doesn't start until Monday, right? I bet you never tried to quit smoking on any other day of the week other than Monday. <laughs> oh, it's likely. It's likely. I, I remember trying, I remember multiple times trying to do the New Year's resolution thing. Yeah. And it might last for January. Yeah. But. I think that's as far as it ever got. Yeah, I yeah. honestly don't yeah. remember what day it happened, okay. but it's a it's a good point. It's, well, for me, yeah. yeah, everyone, every every good dieter knows that diets start on Mondays, and for me, it was well. There's only three or four days until New Year's Day. I might as well just wait until New Year's Day before I start, and uh, and then yeah, in those three or four days where I was waiting, um, yeah, there's no justification for it. I just had the idea that if I'm starting on the first of January, maybe I should just go through the year till the finish on the first of January, and. Uh, yeah, I still haven't got a good reason for it. It just seemed like a good idea, so I did it. <laughs> and it was like, it was super scary, you know? It was yeah. It was not like, I didn't look at that and go, yeah, I can eat potatoes for a year. It's easy, I'll go and do it. It was like, I I thought I had no chance of doing it. But uh, yeah, it was just, I felt like, um, you know, my life was not, I wasn't in a great, I wasn't in great shape in, uh, mentally and um I wasn't happy with how my life was going and I just thought, you know, the worst thing that can happen is that I will um, just go back to being the way things are right now. You know, if I don't, if I can't finish it, then the absolute worst possible result is just to live the way I'm currently living. So, yeah. Worth a crack. Yeah, I might as well give it a try. If I do two days, then so what? I did two days. It doesn't, you know, it was just... uh, yeah, I had nothing to lose and I thought I might as well give it a try. So 100%. Yeah. 100%. So so potatoes, how like how did you then go about I suppose knowing how much in a day? Um was that all did yeah. that come up in your research? Yeah, well, it was uh really it was just eat, eat as much as I feel like as often as I feel like that was all it was and um and yeah, the the research that I did show me that you know, for the average uh, BMR, which is base metabolic rate, uh, for me, I should be getting around two and a half thousand calories a day. I didn't have that officially tested to make sure, but I probably should have. But um, but yeah, the average bloke like me should eat about two and a half thousand calories a day, and it made sense that if I just ate as much as I felt like, then I would probably get that much in potatoes. So um, yeah, that was that was all it was. So I just eat as much as I feel like whenever I feel like it. And, um, and it just worked out that way. And, and I didn't, I didn't end up tracking anything. I just trusted that, uh, my body would figure out exactly what was going on over time. You know, once it got used to, once my gut microbiome adjusted and my, my, the way my brain works and the way I think about food, once that adjusted, then I would just eat as much as I needed to eat and I wouldn't have to track or, um, count or weigh or any of that. I just eat as much as I feel like as often as I feel like. And it, and it ended up that I was, I was averaging 
and I again I didn't track anything I just knew because of I knew how many kilos I'd bought each week and I just ate until they were gone and then I bought more and I, it averaged out to about three and a half kilos um, a day three and a half to four kilos a day and over 3,000 calories a day yeah so very cool yeah. how it, it's the the thing that I find most interesting there that you just spoke about is the eating as much as you like a day mm. when I'm hungry I'm going to eat potatoes mm. so in the you know Andrew's previous brain before the potatoes how does that work for you you know, being someone that went to food, um, you know, and, and not healthful food, but to, to get that, I suppose, that hit. When it was potatoes, what happened? Yeah, well, I was someone who had my whole life really tried to restrict how much I would eat. And obviously, I wasn't very good at that, but that was that was what I was trying to do. <laughs> and... Um, and yeah, so it was a change in mindset because I was just allowing myself to eat as much as I wanted to anytime I wanted to. And, and that was really important because I wanted to make sure that this was every other time I'd done any kind of diet, it was all about trying to lose weight. And I wanted this to be not about losing weight. It was, it was about dealing with the addiction and that is it. Whatever else happened outside that was, it was just whatever happened. I just wanted to deal with the addiction side of things. And um, yeah, it was really interesting because as a as in my former life as a food addict i would uh you know i'd get home from a bad day of work for example and i'd go okay i need to eat some ice cream and then i'd go eat the ice cream and the ice cream triggers uh, a dopamine release in your brain and it makes you feel good momentarily and you know there's there's all this excitement that happens you know party in your mouth i call it a food gasm you know you get you get all this uh all this good stuff from eating this junk food and then if you swap that out for potatoes, you get home from work, okay, I've had a bad day, I need to eat something. Only choice is potatoes. You go and eat potatoes and um, potatoes are good, but they don't, they don't, you don't get a foodgasm from eating plain potatoes, you know. So you, you eat the potatoes, that dopamine response in your brain doesn't happen, the party in your mouth doesn't happen, the foodgasm doesn't happen. And then the thing that you were subconsciously looking for from that eating experience, it just hasn't happened. So... You know, you, you subconsciously learn from that. And then the next day, you, you same thing. You, I feel like I need to eat something to help me with my mood. And again, the response doesn't come. And then, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks, you never, not even once, get that response that you would usually get from eating food. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's inevitable that you, this association that you have inbuilt in your brain between... Eating food means dopamine hit, means excitement, means foodgasm. That connection gets broken, you know, because it just, that's just, uh, you can't. You can't you attain just, that with yeah, a potato. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know, if you started smoking cigarettes, or if you started drinking coffee that, that didn't have caffeine in it, you know, pretty soon you would, if that was all you ever drank, then the association of getting that buzz from the caffeine hit it doesn't come from coffee anymore you know it comes from uh, it doesn't you just don't get it you got to go somewhere else to get that and it, yeah that was that was the way i figured it would work with potatoes uh and food addiction and oh, it turned out i was right at least for me yeah very cool very cool going somewhere else to look for you know a hit or to deal with emotion or to deal with a bad day whatever it might be did you find other things um that were helpful in, in dealing with those? 
Yeah, yeah. And it was never, that wasn't something I planned for. It was just something that happened on its own. It was like, yeah, I, I didn't even really actively think about it. It just sort of happened that, you know, that, okay, I'm not this this food i'm not going to settle settle down and you know eat a whole bag of chips or something um i'm i'm gonna go and do something else with my time you know because all this brain space is cleared up that used to be taken up by food and and um not only that but i've got energy you know if you if you sit down and have a huge junk food meal then you just want to go to sleep afterwards but if you eat potatoes then you know you're not feeling sluggish you can go and play with your son or you can you know you can there's a whole heap of things you can do. You don't have brain fog and all this. So yeah, it just I guess it just gave me the ability to go and do other things that are much more important. So uh, yeah, that, that was in initially that was the way it worked, and then yeah, it took me a little while, you know, maybe a week, week and a half or something before I figured out that yeah, I've got to I've got to start actively looking for um, yeah for comfort, enjoyment, emotional support outside of food. And, um, and yeah, I did all sorts of things. I, one of the things was I just wrestled with my son. He just loves wrestling with me. It's his favorite thing to do. So I just, you know, take some time and go and do that. Or I would, um, I would look up a bad joke on Google and go and tell it to my wife. And, um, yeah, and she would not laugh at all and give me a strange look and then it would make <laughs> me laugh. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so just, I don't know, even little things like I literally within, I think maybe in the second week was probably the first time in my life that I'd literally stopped and smelled a flower when I was walking down the street. And it's just a little thing, you know, but it, all these little things make a difference or, I don't know, when someone walks past in the street, just say, g'day, how you going? And, you know, to strangers, just smile. Just having the confidence yeah, to, to just, go and do that? Yeah, just, I don't know, smile at someone, whatever. Just lots of little things like that was, uh, yeah, they made all the difference, yeah. So you're seeing life through a completely new lens within within two weeks? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say completely new, like, but yeah, definitely significant changes within two weeks yeah and uh and completely new within uh maybe three months i would say yeah okay so yeah i mean two weeks doesn't sound like a long period of time but me just thinking you know off the top of my head now eating potatoes all day every day for two weeks that's a lot of um you know a lot of learning opportunities for your brain over time you know i don't know how many times a day you were eating but uh for the regular person it might be three for you, I'm not. It might have been more if it was. Was it more than three times a day? It was just whenever you were hungry, right? Yeah, it's just whenever yeah. I was hungry. And in in the in the beginning, it was some days it was two days. Some sorry, some days it was two times a day. Some mm -hmm. days it was three. Uh, by the end, most it was pretty much three meals every okay. day. But it was just in the beginning there was some adjustment, and some days I felt hungrier than others, and mm -hmm. and whatever. And uh, but yeah, it was it was some days more, some days less. But they're all know. learning opportunities for the brain to go huh i'm not getting it i'm not getting the hit i'm not getting the hit over and over again so i can see why the change would come about quite quickly mm, to exactly because this is this is an extreme thing you know people say oh, you can't do that it's too extreme and i say oh, what's wrong with extreme you know i'm not shying away from the fact that this is an extreme thing to do but it's a good kind of extreme thing i, I look at this as um, you've got a, a food craving resistance muscle. Let's say you've got these resistance muscles and in me they were weak and I needed them to get stronger. So uh, if I could come up with a situation where I was getting no enjoyment from eating food, that was going to intensify my cravings. It was going to make me 
just think, oh, just give anything to eat something that's not a potato. And that presents opportunities for practice, like you're saying. That's what it is. Every time I every time I ate a potato, I was exercising my resistance muscle because I had chosen the potato over who knows what else. And if I if you make it intense like that and you and every single time you eat something you are you you're reinforcing positive changes and your resistance muscles getting stronger and um you know if you I'm not saying everyone has to do it my way and I'm not saying my way is the best way but for me personally if I had have gone okay I'm going to go whole food plant based and I'm going to try and find as many delicious recipes as possible and so that I can eat delicious food all day, every day, it's just going to be healthy, delicious food. I don't think that would have changed things as quickly because every meal I would have still been looking for something that's delicious and is going to, you know, give me that foodgasm, give me that great eating experience. And, and um, you know, to me, it's, it's not a big step between eating a delicious, healthy plant-based meal and eating some junk food that's also delicious. They're, you know, they're in the same neighborhood. But when you're, <laughs> when you're eating just a, a plain potato with nothing on it it's like there's nothing exciting about that and and the step from that to eating something that is exciting is a is a much bigger step and so uh, so it takes more um, yeah it takes more strength in that resistance muscle to to make that choice and and if you make that choice consistently day after day it's gonna you're gonna get strong quickly real habit change yeah totally was it just regular potatoes it was sweet potatoes as well, sweet potatoes um, as well. but cool. mostly, uh, mostly just regular white potatoes. Yeah, I probably ate like literally two to three sweet potatoes a week, and the rest was all white potatoes. And um, and yeah, it was just it was really just about um, making my food boring on purpose, mm -hmm. just because as exciting food was the problem. So, yeah. I mean, when you bring it down to that level, it just makes a ton of sense. It make to me. I don't know. It makes a it makes a ton of sense. Food excites us. Yeah. You know, if we had a place in Boston that we used to go to all the time, Veggie Galaxy. It was like an American diner, junk food, vegan food, and we. It would excite us if 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 you know we're going there for a date night, but you know if we're going to have the the Buddha bowl at home, then maybe not as exciting. Mm. But then the spectrum goes even further. A potato, well, we're not going to get too excited about that, are we? Yeah. So it does make a ton of sense to me. Were you allowed, you know, in your, you know, in your own experience, did you use any spices or anything like that? Yeah. Well, when, I, like I was saying earlier, I was trying to decide between two months or a hundred days. And when I was, when that was the options, I was going to do it totally nothing just potatoes and that's it but when i had this idea for the whole year that was just too scary to me and uh, and i thought well, if i'm gonna do a whole year i'm just gonna have to make a couple of exceptions <laughs> so um i did allow myself to use some dried herbs and spices and a little bit of tomato sauce or uh, ketchup for the americans um or you know something like that but uh it was really minimal it was like it just i thought every now and then i'm probably going to need a bit of flavor just to keep me going and it, it was literally like a teaspoon of sauce on a large potato so not much at all um and yeah but but really most of what i ate was just either plain boiled or baked or mashed potatoes and yeah maybe once every two weeks i would make it a little bit more interesting than that but i really made a, a conscious effort to make it as boring as possible um yeah just so that i i had 
Uh, you know, I had this this saying that uh, if you're not hungry enough to eat a plain cold boiled potato, then you're not hungry. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just if, yeah. you, if you're looking for something, not these days I think of it differently, but at that time I really wanted it to be, you know, if, if you're looking for something that you can't get from a cold boiled potato, then look somewhere else, you know, like. That was that was had to be extreme for me and uh, and yeah it was it it was the right choice yeah love it really cool in terms of I did get a question uh, during the week um, from a from a listener and it was an interesting one you know the potato mm. um, we kind of covered how you came to choose the potato and um, doing six weeks of research was there anything after the twelve months uh, that you know, if you got a blood blood work or anything like that, was there anything that a potato lacked, or did it literally, you know, keep all levels healthy? Uh, I had blood tests all through the year, and everything just right. Up, I had five blood tests, and they just improved every time. So I had no no troubles with anything at all. I, just, I was getting everything I needed. I had um, I went to the University of Adelaide so they could test my blood because they were developing a new blood test that is now in regular use but at the time it hadn't been released yet and they wanted to test their test my blood with their stuff and uh and all of my blood fatty acid levels it was actually that's it it was a specific test for blood for fatty acid levels and everything was perfect um and i had dexa scans and my my muscle mass and my bone density and everything stayed the same um yeah there was there was nothing the only thing that i supplemented with was b12 um and in theory if i ate um you know organic potatoes then and i didn't do the best job of washing them then there would have been you know a speck of dirt here and there on and that would have meant that i got enough b12 as well um but that was just something i didn't really want to mess with so i decided to um you know this wasn't an experiment to test how things would be for my health it was all about the addiction side of things and i didn't really want to mess with you know am i going to get enough b12 or not from this supposed organic dirt that might be on there so right. i just so I supplemented b12 and that was it and everything else was it was good yeah yeah that's um well that's awesome to hear because uh, i think the specific one that she asked was about iron and i was like huh i don't I know a good answer for that my okay. my um my doctor who's a, a very much a fitness enthusiast marathon runner uh, one day, I can't remember which blood test it was, maybe the third or fourth, he, he tested my blood and he said if if my, uh, the I can't remember what the official names were, but his words were, if the oxygen carrying capacity in my blood was any higher, then it would be above the threshold where a Tour de France rider would be suspected of blood doping. So I was like right below that limit. And, um, and yeah, it was so... Yeah, that, that and that comes from iron. You know, the iron is responsible for oxygen carrying capacity in the blood. So, uh, yeah, I was getting a lot of iron from potatoes, and that's something people don't realize. That you know, I think I was getting like more than I can't remember if it's three hundred or four hundred percent of my daily requirements for of iron were coming from potatoes. And well, there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, they're very good for that. <laughs> that's amazing. That's really yeah. that is amazing. That's yeah, I was sad. amazed too. I, I knew that there was. I knew obviously I'd done the research. I knew that I was going to be getting enough iron, more than enough. But I, I was amazed when he said that. Yeah, if my if my oxygen carrying capacity in my blood was any higher, then it would be above the threshold where I would need to get tested and suspected of blood doping. So, <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And how were you feeling at that time? 
compared oh. to when you began? Yeah, amazing. I felt really good. You know, it took a it took a couple of weeks. The first two weeks were really really hard, like hardest thing I've ever done. But from then on, I just felt great for the for the rest of the year. I just felt really great, full of energy. Obviously, as I as the weight kept on dropping off, I was able to you know run further and faster. But as far as how I felt internally, I just felt really great from two weeks onwards. Yeah, that first two weeks were there like almost withdrawals or legit withdrawals. Yeah, yeah, I, I like to call them adjustments. Okay. Really. Um, yeah, withdrawals. I guess it's just semantics, but to yep. me, it's like your body's. Um, you know, you can't send your body a memo ahead of time and say, "Hey, get ready, we're going to be eating potatoes only soon." So just prepare things. It, that's not the way it works. So um, you know, once you once you start putting potatoes in, then your body's got to do what it does to adjust to that way of eating. And um, and yeah, so I had I had stomach pains and um, headaches and things like that. And uh, but yeah, I figure just. Once my gut bacteria adjusted and my, you know, my digestive system adjusted, then it was everything was good. Yeah, everything was good to go. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. I'm. There's a few things that, you, yeah, the, the <laughs> Tour de France thing has me. That's mm. amazing. That is really cool. Um, how did your family kind of react to your decision to to go to the potato only diet? Yeah, they were they were pretty supportive. There was no no trouble. Um, I, I sort of throughout my whole life I had not really um, talked to anyone other than that dietitian that I that I was saw when I was kayaking. Apart from that, I'd not really talked to anyone ever about um, how my weight and my relationship with food had affected me personally. And um, and you know I made a decision before I started this that basically everything i'd done in my life regarding my health and weight was wrong so i can't i can't do things the same way anymore so uh, one of those things was that i was just going to be open about everything with anyone and um and i wasn't going to hide behind anything and so yeah i was i was very very open about that and it was scary and hard to do but i i knew that i had to do it and um and yeah when you when you open well this is what i found anyway that when you're open and honest uh about the relationship with food and how it's affecting your life and how you're struggling with it then people who love you just want to support you they just want to you know if you just if you just pop up out the blue and out of the blue and just say how i'm eating only potatoes just for something to do then people are going to make fun of you they're going to make jokes because they don't understand what you're doing but if you take the time to explain things and get people to understand they're going to if if they do if there's if they love you and they want the best for you then they're going to support you and in the same way that um you know if if you just out of the blue just you know say to your mates in the pub that oh, hey i'm quitting drinking they'll just go oh, don't be stupid here have a beer you moron you know and they'll, <laughs> they'll make fun of you and that's that's good that's what friends should do friends should make fun of you and you know have a joke with you and things like that but if you then instead of just doing it that way if you say listen guys this alcohol is destroying my life it's ruining everything about my life it's making me clinically depressed and anxious and you know some days i I think it'd be better if i wasn't around and um yeah maybe i'm gonna quit alcohol and see if my life will improve then your mates are not gonna make fun of you you know (laughs) they're gonna support you and your family will as well and you know and if people don't support you then you know it's time to move on you know i look at it as and and it didn't work that way with me but when i was contemplating that my thoughts were well you know if people are not going to support me then this uh potato 
spud fit challenge that I was doing, it, it's going to act like a good filter that allows me to figure out, you know, who I want to keep around and who I don't. So, yeah, but I didn't have to let anyone go. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice. Was really supportive. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And how has it changed your life? Oh, how hasn't it would be an easier question to ask. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not clinically depressed and anxious anymore, and I'm I'm not. I hesitate to say that I'm not a food addict, but uh, I, yeah, like any, because I followed this alcoholic model. They say that you're never, you're always an alcoholic, and so I feel like I should follow that as well and say that I'm always a food addict. But at the same time, I've, I've it's been, you know, three years since I've had any a taste of chocolate or, or a donut or anything like the the worst i shouldn't say the worst because it's not bad to eat bad food but um it's not bad to eat unhealthy food i should say it doesn't make you a bad person and it's just something that i'd rather not do um so the least healthy food is a better way to describe it i guess that i've had was i think was it last year or the year before but anyway i had like half a mouthful of my son's birthday cake and that's it that's like since since the end of 2015 like i haven't had any so apart from that like half a mouthful and i thought yeah just had a taste and i thought no i don't really need that and i haven't gone back to any cake or anything so i don't know it's i like to i like to i feel like it's not an issue for me anymore Um, yeah but but yeah i I, I just feel wary about saying that that's all so how do you (laughs) feel then about like the diets we hear about now you know that are Mm. largely unsuccessful for people when they mm. when they do tackle them i don't know if you want to call it what have we got now paleo keto mm. all these atkins is one that's old and kind of reprograms itself and, and pops its head up all the time what do you think about those yeah well it's i haven't yeah i've done those myself uh and i've been unsuccessful um you know they're, they're good for losing weight if the only thing that's important in your life is losing weight then yeah, maybe they're worth a try, but you know, we we want to be healthy, and we want to, you know, just we we want to try to eat a way, in a way that's not going to make us, um, you know, die of heart disease or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the first thing we need to eat a diet that's health promoting, not just one that's going to make us lose weight. And and the second thing is, um, yeah, I think I th- I really feel like for most people that it's a psychological issue that you know the way you or a behavioral issue at least you know you 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 gain weight because of your behavior you know that's that's the only way it is you you the things you put in your mouth and the the way you move to a certain extent but mostly the things you put in your mouth are what cause you to gain weight and that's that's a behavioral issue so if you if you want to focus on the weight or focus on the numbers on the scale, that's a symptom. You know, the numbers on the scale go up as a symptom of the behavior. So if you want to solve the problem, you need to focus on the cause and the cause is the behavior. It's always the behavior. So, um, you know, like I said earlier, everyone knows that a donut's bad for you. So why do we keep doing it? Let's, that's the behavioral issue. Let's focus on that and treat, treat the cause of the problem. And yeah, most, most diets, just don't even contemplate the cause they just focus on the numbers on the scales and uh the external yeah, look exactly yeah and so if you're treating symptoms then yeah that's a recipe for what losing weight and putting it back on yeah. definitely did you 
Did you see how much weight? Speaking of scales, did mm. you did you see how much you'd lost from from Jan one to Jan one? Yeah, fifty two kilos. Um, yeah, over over the course of a year, so it's like close enough to one hundred and twenty pounds. And uh, and I weighed myself again at the end of January after I after I had stopped, and I lost another three kilos, and then that was the last time I weighed myself. But um, but yeah, it was like don't get me wrong, the weight loss is great. I love. It was, it was fantastic that I've lost that much weight, um, but that was a, a secondary thing. You know that that happened as a result of, um, of of changing the way I thought about and related and behaved with food, and uh, and I got those things right, and then and the weight loss was just the the result. That was all. Yeah, I know. Listening to some uh, some doctors, like someone like Joel Furman. I think he talks a bit about like an ideal weight. So in that yeah. first year, did you get to a certain weight and then you kind of just leveled out, plateaued and you were still eating the same, you know, potato diet or did you continue to lose weight until, uh, you know, the, the year was over? Yeah, I had, a, I had a few weeks here and there where, you know, I weighed myself once a week and um, yeah, occasionally I'd have like two or three or four weeks in a row where I stayed the same and then I would drop weight again but i didn't like i didn't change what i was doing like oh no i'm not losing weight i better do something different wasn't the focus it wasn't my focus it was just it was you know i was weighing myself just just out of curiosity not out of like i hope i've lost weight this week it was just i wonder what's happened and then okay i've stayed the same that's interesting keep going and um yeah wasn't like a biggest loser mentality where no, no. <laughs> the scales are the you know front and center thing of the yeah, yeah. the whole experience. Why, yeah, it was the weight loss was interesting, and it was good. Like yeah, I, I don't want to I don't want to sound like I didn't care about weight loss. I was glad I was losing weight, but I, I worked really hard on just keeping myself in check. And when I when I lost you know I lost five kilos in a week. If I lost five kilos in a week, I, I worked equally hard to not celebrate that as I did to. Um, to not get down if I didn't lose weight. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it was. It's almost like another mental exercise on top of the... Yeah, yeah. The, it's hard to not get excited about losing weight. It's hard, but I really... It felt important to me that, no, just let's just keep things in perspective. This is not about weight. It's a behavior thing. It's a psychology thing. And this is happening because I'm getting those things right, not the other way around, you know? So that was that was my focus for sure. Nice. And coming to the end of the year, so you've, you know, you've been eating potatoes for a whole year. Were you excited about finishing up and oh. and how did how did you I suppose break it? Yeah, I wasn't excited at all. I was uh I was at that point in time I I would have been I felt like I could just keep going. It was just the way I lived my life and it was um there was honestly not a thing that anyone could have put in front of me that would have made me go, oh, I want some of that. It was just, I was just comfortable and happy eating only potatoes. But I also felt like, um, I just felt like it was time to to do something else. I didn't feel like I needed to, but I just felt like it was probably something I should do. Um, partly because I just wanted, like I had a lot of attention and I wanted to be able to show people that, you know, this is not, I'm not planning on doing this forever. It, this is a temporary thing and it's, um, yeah, you can, you can use, I can apply the lessons I've learned to other areas of life. So I was, I just felt like it was, it was the right time to just try something else. Uh, and 
yeah, I just... So what I'd done basically for that year was I had a, an extremely narrow set of rules about my food and, uh, and I didn't want to just throw the rules away, which is what a lot of people do with a diet. You lose a bit of weight and then you throw the rules away and then the weight comes back on. I wanted to keep my rules very narrow, um, but not quite as narrow. So that was the approach that I took. And uh, I did have a sort of a breakfast feast on day one because I was... Um, I was like I broke my my potato thing, my spud fit challenge. I broke that on national TV, so it felt it would have felt weird to just go. I'm just gonna eat a banana. <laughs> <laughs> so so I had like a, a decent meal that was catered and all of that, um, and I ate that on TV. And then I, honestly, I just went okay. After that meal was done, then I just went. I, I went to the fruit and veg shop and i bought a box of broccoli and a box of bananas and i for the first couple of weeks i just had potatoes and broccoli and bananas hmm. and um and then i just started gradually adding in other things and um and yeah these days i just eat a whole food plant-based diet which i, I call it a whole food potato based diet because i still eat a lot of potatoes um but yeah i eat other things too like today i've had uh rice and beans and grapes and yeah that's been oh, and bananas i had a couple of bananas too but I'm out of potatoes today, so I've got to get some more on the way home. <laughs> so you're keeping the food boring. Yeah, yeah. So to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. what you just said still excites me to some extent. I love rice and beans. Yeah. So, um, but I I know where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's not, these days, it's, to me, it's not about really keeping the food boring. It's, it is to a certain extent, but that that... The saying that I have, keep your food boring and your life interesting, it, it's really just an, an acknowledgement that um, that food doesn't have to be your only source of excitement and entertainment. It's just, um, you know, you can you don't have to eat exciting food all the time. And I do eat exciting food from time to time now. I go out to a nice, you know, restaurant and get a nice meal. Got plenty but, here um, in Melbourne. Yeah, plenty of plenty of nice places to eat here. A healthy meal, always. I'll always choose a healthy meal. But, um, you know, when chefs cook, it's different to when I cook. Yep. <laughs> so... Yeah, but it's just I don't I don't go out to a restaurant and focus on the food. I'll focus on the company that I've that I've got there, and yeah, I'll enjoy the food, but I'll definitely be more interested in the conversation and um, yeah, whatever else is going on. And the food is just a nice thing to complement that rather than the other way around. You know, <laughs> beautifully said. Yeah, I think in in a time of you know these things yeah. iphones um yeah. we can often get distracted from the company and the actual conversation uh that you know we could be having around the dinner table yeah well think about when you well not you personally i don't know you but when most people go to dinner and we're certainly when i used to go to dinner the conversation would be okay what are we going to eat sit down get the menu let's talk about all the things on the menu let's talk about the drinks menu and then you have a few minutes to talk about other stuff and then the food arrives and how's your food? How's your food? Tell me about that. Tell me, about, can I try that? Can I taste that? It's all, the conversation's all about the food and the food doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> Food's not, you know, food, food does matter to some people and that's okay, but, you know, there's bigger issues in life. And, you know, when I was eating only potatoes, even if we went out to dinner, I would, I would go out to dinner and go to restaurants that would make me only potatoes and my wife and I had way better conversation because uh, she wouldn't, you know... <laughs> She wouldn't be interested in what I was eating and I wouldn't be interested in what she was eating. So we'd have to find something that was actually worthwhile talking about, you know. So it's, uh, I think it makes a big difference for sure. And, uh, and I've sort of, you know, I do talk about the food these days, but it's certainly not my focus. It's just I look at a menu and I'll, I'll make a decision and then that, that's it. I just, I've, 
I don't have to know what everyone else is eating and whatever. I don't have to. Very oh, cool. Oh, should I? Did I make the right choice? I don't know. <laughs> should I? Maybe I should have got that. Maybe I'll see if someone will share with me so I can have a bit of that and a bit of that. And uh, uh, no, I'm just whatever. It doesn't. There's no food it. envy. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. That's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Were along the way were there any challenges in terms of preparation? You know, we're only eating potatoes here. Um, you know, going to work, going to pick up the uh, your your son or your mm. wife or um you know were there any preparation challenges not really when we were at home i just made a huge batch of whatever every night and i always made enough that i could eat all of the next day and then i just take it with me in the morning i'd pack my bag and i'd have a huge box of potatoes and it got me through the only challenge i had was uh towards the end of the year i went to um to la to to go to a, a nutrition science conference which i ended up speaking at and um and yeah, I was there for like a week and, uh, and yeah, that was a, a little bit of a challenge, just making sure that I had enough food for the plane ride and making sure once I landed, I knew where to go to get potatoes. So like I checked into my hotel and the first thing I did was leave again to go and make sure I had potatoes ready. And, um, you know, so that was, that was not a big challenge. It was pretty easy in the end, but, but that was the biggest challenge I had. Yeah. Find a local potato dealer in in, yeah. uh, in los angeles that's yeah. really cool and it was cool actually because you know that was my story was pretty big at the time and a lot of people knew i was coming so i yeah other people that were going to the conference who i'd never met or heard from before turned up with potatoes for me and they're like, <laughs> they're like <laughs> people would just say come and see me and, and say oh hi andrew i knew you you know you might be having a hard time getting potatoes so i brought some and they'd give me a box of potatoes like people i'd never met or even spoken to or like or even had an email from just turned up with potatoes for me so <laughs> that's sick. that's um yeah obviously not everyone who's is going to be able to rely on that but uh but yeah i still was prepared with my own potatoes and yeah but it really wasn't that hard it was if you're prepared and if you you know if i had it just turned up and uh and then winged it maybe it would have been a problem but you know before i left home i knew exactly where i was going to go and uh and exactly how it was all going to work so yeah a little bit of planning and nothing will get in the way cool yeah and you mentioned john mcdougall before so he's someone yeah. you know i've definitely followed throughout my switch mm. in in diet um coming out of eating potatoes only for a year did you know that you were going to switch to a whole food plant-based diet um and was he someone that you'd actually spoken with yeah, yeah, it was always the plan. Was it was never going to be a permanent thing. It was it was always the plan was that it was going to be the Spud Fit challenge was going to be a stepping stone to a whole food plant based diet, and um, and yeah, I early on in the year I spoke with uh, with John and we sort of became friends and um, yeah we have we email each other from time to time and yeah we talk every now and then not often but yeah we do it's pretty weird actually to think that he's a friend of mine but uh <laughs> but but yeah it's um yeah he's been really helpful in, in giving me guidance and support and not so much in diet because i've done a lot of research and i know what what diet i want to eat and how to eat it but he's more giving me help in like um you know how to share my message and things like that and and yeah he's been a, he's a great just wonderful amazing guy and uh and yeah it's good to have him on my team <laughs> totally agree he's a yeah. cool dude i'd love to have yeah. him on the podcast yeah, had dr should. had dr esselstyn oh you did on the podcast awesome. yeah what a uh, guy. we met him in in cleveland 
Dr. Furman as well, um, yeah, and cool. Dr. Angie Sadegi. So they're the three doctors okay, I've had I on the podcast. I don't know Angie. What was her last name? Sadegi. Okay, I'll have to look her up. She's yeah. a she's a gut doctor. Yeah, okay. Cool. Um, well, I've read books. I haven't met either of Esselstyn or uh, Furman, but I've read books by both of them, and they both seem like yeah, great guys too. So yeah. I'm envious of that. <laughs> no, nah, it's, it's been one of the coolest parts about traveling, definitely, yeah. is the people we've met. Um, yeah, and, and Esselstyn for me was, was someone that opened my eyes up to, to really what, to what age could be like, you know, aging mm, yeah. could, could be like, I was used to seeing, um, you know, my grandparents in, in nursing homes or dying of cancer, mm. you know, um, of these chronic diseases that yeah. we talk about now so much. And he was the guy that went, holy shit, there's a guy that's 80 odd years old, you know, yeah, he's 85 fit. now, I think, and he's riding his bike every day. Meeting him only solidified that for me. Meeting his wife, amazing woman. Yeah. And um, Michael Clapper will do the same thing for you. Yep. You know, he's he still goes running like eight, ten Ks every day and yeah, he's uh he's a beast as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love to <laughs> meet him yeah, as well. These guys I, I are inspirational, eh? Love some of uh Clapper's videos on, yeah. on dairy. I think he just says it very logically. Yeah. And it's uh I think it's really hard not to listen to that message. Yeah, so absolutely. Especially when, you know, they're they're a they're a picture of, you know, what I would like to be, you know. So Totally. Yeah. Just, yeah, definitely just, just looking at them. They're yeah. a, you know, they're healthy in 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 their older age and not just physically but they're, yeah, they're very just, mentally just not even it. just looking at them just their energy you know mm -hmm. if, if you can be you know pushing 80 and have that sort of energy then yeah why wouldn't you eat the way those guys do <laughs> exactly do what they're doing yeah so what is in store now for you with with the the spud fit challenge how is it kind of transformed i believe you've got a, a cookbook coming out uh, that's out that's out yeah yeah just i've got a website spudfit.com okay there's, there's two books on there and uh and my big thing at the moment is i'm getting into coaching i'm i'm doing uh yeah food addiction coaching so yeah starting to get a few clients and uh and people are making some amazing uh changes in their lives and you know losing weight which is like i've talked about not the goal but it's a pretty cool thing to have happened and yeah people are just doing incredible things i've, I've coached one guy who was uh who was struggling not that long ago and since then he's uh, i think he's set indoor rowing world records and things like that like just just changed his life you know i've coached i've coached quite a few people now that have just done incredible things and lost huge amounts of weight and just this morning i got um i got a message from someone who last time she went to the doctor her blood pressure was 200 over 100 which is crazy high <laughs> and um and yeah after six weeks she's gone back to the doctor and it was uh, 130 over 80 and yeah still not perfect but drastically improved like massive that's uh so that was a pretty cool message to get this morning and yeah i get these messages every day so yeah that's that's my big thing is just trying to use what i've learned to to help other people and I, i'm doing that through coaching yeah that's really cool i'm glad that it's evolved into that and you're able to help you know a bunch of other people out there because it's an epidemic yeah it's uh it's an epidemic now and it's uh it sounds like it's i suppose it's still on the rise yeah definitely it's still I on the think, rise yeah. i think the knowledge about plant-based food and the power of plant-based food is on the rise but we're not seeing the statistics turn around just yet they're yeah. still on the rise we've got a long way to go yeah i think before 
I think gen the general public is getting more and more aware of um, of, of health in general. Uh, people are, I think people are getting more careful about what they eat. But yeah, just just uh, yeah, just steering the ship a little bit more towards plants rather than you know other sort of animal based foods. Yeah, yeah, diets that are are uh, the common misconception of what healthy is. People are trying to be healthy, but then they're not actually being healthy and we just need to, yeah, work on steering that ship towards what is actually healthy rather than, rather than just what people are pretending is healthy. <laughs> Very true. <coughs> Murky waters, yeah. hard to navigate. Absolutely. Um, but I think we are getting there. So, spudfit.com. Yep, spudfit.com. Or uh, if you're interested in the books, just look up spudfit on Amazon and you'll get the books there and... And uh, yeah, just SpudFit on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, in, uh, Twitter. Um, I don't really use everything as much as I should. I'm not that very good with social media, but I always reply to messages. So yeah. Last question, the new cookbook. I believe that you'd included stuff from people, you know, like McDougal. Yeah. Other doctors, other people in this, in this community uh, that give reliable information. So can you tell us just a little bit about the new book? Yeah, I'm really proud of it, actually. It's a really uh, interesting idea, um, if I do say so myself. But <coughs> it came about because uh, I just get asked every day for recipes and I'm not much of a cook, but people still keep asking me for recipes. And no, no matter how many times I tell people that get a can of baked beans and put it on a baked potato and eat it, <laughs> people, still want, <laughs> people still want recipes. So I thought, well, uh, I'm not the one to make a recipe book. So maybe I could get some like a, someone who is a cook to collaborate and make a book with me. And then I started thinking of all the people I'd like to collaborate with. I thought, why don't I just collaborate with all of them? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's I got a heap of different people to make a recipe each. And there's yeah, there's over a hundred recipes in the book uh, from all different people. Uh, and and then I actually didn't contribute even one recipe myself. <laughs> I, I contributed uh, a lot of writing about you know what is healthy food and um and food addiction and all these different approaches we can take uh, to changing our diets and different reasons why it's important and that sort of thing so yeah i did a lot of writing and i and i got a hundred of my closest personal friends to contribute a recipe and it was uh i'm really really proud of it it's a, if i do say so myself it's a beautiful book and it's really well put together and uh yeah hopefully it's helping change lives too love it man <laughs> i really appreciate the time today it is an absolutely stinking hot day here in yeah. Melbourne for those... It's getting hot in here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, for those that are at home. I mean, a lot of the guys are in probably in Northeast America right now. I think they've just had a snowstorm. Yeah. So <laughs> it's about 38 here today. I do not know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's definitely... Stinking hot. ...pushing 100, <laughs> if, not, uh, if not higher. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for sharing your story. It's super inspiring. Also, really educational. I think it's a topic that... As we said at the beginning, we're not talking about it enough. Um, so I've learned a lot today and I'm sure the guys at home uh, have definitely learned a lot. And if you are looking to apply you know, any of these practices, reach out to Andrew. He likes hearing you know, from you guys and, and we'll take your messages in and, and definitely do his best to help you out. So thanks again, mate. Really appreciate it and uh, all the best. Thank you, and uh, yeah, thanks for giving me a platform to, to speak on. I'll, uh, I'll give me a soapbox and I'll stand on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you, mate. Thanks for doing what you do too. It's been fun. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Hello again, Veggie Mates. Very happy to be back after a week off with the family. 
and I don't think there could have been a better way to start the Australian podcast leg. Andrew is an inspiring guy who has made this journey about helping others. He now has two books and is also a coach for people looking to fight food addiction, get healthy and turn their life around. I encourage you to follow him online at SpudFit and also share this episode as his story is one that I believe can help thousands and thousands of people around the world given the obesity epidemic that we are seeing today. If you did enjoy the show, it would be amazing if you can spend just a minute or two leaving a written review and rating on iTunes to help with the visibility of the show. Really looking forward to being back with you all next week. Keep it plant-based, veggie mates, and I'll see you all then.